few years ago, I guess we're going up on three years now, uh, 2014, the, the Kansas City Royals had finally made the playoffs after 29 years of, uh, of futility. And, uh, they were in a playoff series against the An- Anaheim Angels. And, uh, so one Sunday after church, uh, I, I, I left and headed to Kansas City. My son Caleb, who lives in, uh, uh, in Liberty, left and, and headed to Kansas City. My son in Tulsa, uh, as soon as his church was over, left and headed to Kansas City. And my son that lived in Springfield did the same thing. As soon as church was over, headed to Kansas City. We, we were gonna meet, uh, and it, it is what we did. We were gonna meet at Royal Stadium and hope that we could find tickets for that night's game. Um, and we did. Uh, they were standing room only tickets and we actually got them for uh, I think only about a hundred dollars a piece, so we were pretty happy with that. And and uh, so we got the tickets for for the for the game. Now now the reality is we could have stayed in the parking lot. The parking lot was amazing. I don't think I'd ever uh, experienced anything like that. Those of you that go to Chiefs games, may, maybe it's somewhat similar. I know you get pretty excited about the, the tailgating, but the parking lot was amazing. There were. There were people, everyone, uh, everywhere, everyone was dressed in blue, everyone was pumped up and, and excited. The, the smell was amazing. You could smell the hamburgers and the bratwurst and all the stuff smelling, uh, uh, cooking there in the tailgate parties. Th- there was stuff set up. I mean, people had these big old displays. It was amazing. One guy we, we walked by had a big screen TV set up in the parking lot with huge speakers and he had the pregame on there. So, so the reality is we could have stayed in the parking lot. Uh, and, and from the parking lot, we could have heard the national anthem being sung. From the parking lot, when something good happened and the, the stands erupted in cheers, we could have, we could have heard that. If someone hit a home run, which happened that night twice, if one of the Royals hit a home run, we could have, depending on where we're standing, we probably could have seen the fireworks that they shoot up out in the outfield, go explode. We could have experienced all of that from the parking lot, but that wasn't our purpose. Our purpose was to go into the game. Our, our, our purpose was to stand with 40,000 other fans when the national anthem was sung and put our hand across our heart and, and hum along, which I tend to do, uh, or sing along, or, or at least stand there in reverence. With 40,000 other people. Our, our purpose was to watch Alex Gordon hit a, a run scoring triple. Now we'd love to see that this year, but those are really far and few between. Uh, but, but, but our purpose is to watch him do it, which he did in the first inning. Our purpose was to watch Locaine make two diving catches in center field. If you remember that game, it was the, the clinching series. He did. If, if, if you were, uh, our purpose was to watch, uh, and we got to see Hosmer and Moose both hit home runs that night. Our purpose was to stand in the stadium and and enjoy that, not be in the parking lot. Not be in the parking lot. We're going to look this morning in in the book of First Peter and 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 Peter describes for us what our purpose uh what our purpose uh in living for Christ is and it's not it's not to be in the parking lot. If you have your Bibles turn with me uh to First Peter chapter chapter 1 Paul or Peter in his book is talking to a group of Christians that 
And he describes them several ways. They're all kind of similar, similar descriptions. But he describes them as exiles. He describes them as strangers. He describes them as soldiers. Uh, He's talking to a group of Christians that in many cases have literally left their families. Many of them, because of their their commitment to Christ, have have been forced out of jobs. They've lost their homes. They've sacrificed greatly. And if you read the book of 1 Peter, you find out that he is predicting that there's going to be even future uh, hardship that would come that way. So, so by being a Christian, they were even going to be asked to sacrifice uh, more, uh, more uh, dearly. But in chapter 1, we see Peter encouraging this group of Christians to, to not just realize, but to embrace this concept that they were exiles, that they were sojourners, that they were strangers. And he, what he's suggesting to them and then to us as well is that we need to change our mindset. We are, we are in this world. We, we, we can't avoid that. We are definitely in this world. We are immersed in this world. But the passions and the purpose of this world is not our purpose. We need to see ourselves as, as Peter suggested, we need to see ourselves as strangers and let that impact the way we see ourselves uh, in our world, let me let me ask this question as we kind of start out here this morning. Do you see yourself as a stranger? Now, now, not do you see yourself as strange? We'd have a few takers on that. Uh, we could start pointing fingers, but uh, uh, were you pointing at me, Case, or did you want me to point at you? Okay. But but do you see yourself as a a, a stranger? Here here's the reality. It's it's so easy for us to fall in love with the world that we live in. And yet Paul, or let Peter, has called us to be out of that. In, in 1 John chapter 2.15 it says there, John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. To have a mindset to see ourselves as strangers, we need to break every chain that holds us to this world. We're going to look this morning at what it means to be a stranger, a an exile, a soldier, what it means to break those chains. If you have your Bibles, Look with me, 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to start with verse uh, verse 13 and read just a few verses, we'll catch some, some others later on. Therefore, Paul sa- uh, Peter says, prepare your minds for actions, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, impartially, live your lives as strangers, as sojourners, as, as exiles here in reverent fear. The first chain that we need to break is the chain of complacency. It is so easy for us to become complacent. We see that because Peter says there, there, therefore, prepare your minds for action. That, that is a challenge for us to break the chain of complacency. Literally what he means, does anyone have the King James Bible here this morning? Is anyone reading from the King James? You got, you got it? New King James? What does it say? I'm not sure what the New King James says. Verse 13. That's, that's what I wanted. You're, you're good. It says, gird up your loins. I remember that when I was a kid hearing that and reading that from First Peter. Gird up your, that sounds cool. Had no idea what it meant. But it sounds cool. Doesn't it sound just churchy? 
we got to gird up our loins. I had no idea what it means. Now, some of you probably have a pretty good idea. What it literally means is, now, now in our phraseology, what we might say is roll up your, your sleeves. You're, you're getting ready to work. In, in their world, what it literally meant, so when he says be prepared, it, it literally meant getting ready to work. So as they wore long robes, when, when they were ready to do some work, uh, whether it was a, uh, uh, a soldier going into battle in that form or, or someone just going to work in it. If they had a long robe up, they would pull their robe up and tuck it into their belt. They would gird up their loins. Now, my, my granny, my, uh, my, my grandma Poorman, Granny Poorman, she's my dad's mom. My grandpa Champ died, remarried. That's why the name doesn't match, but, but Granny Poorman, I never saw her in anything but a dress. She wore a dress all the time. And, and I don't know that I ever really saw her in a dress without an apron on. So I guess she got up in the morning, put a dress on, put an apron on. She loved to cook, so she always had this apron apron on. But but she loved to work out in her yard and work in her garden. And I remember as a kid going over to her, uh, to, to her house, and she'd be out back in the garden with the dress and apron on. And she would have, biblically speaking, her, her loins girded. She would have her dress pulled up. Really wasn't a pretty sight, guys. Uh, my, my granny had these, she had the piercy legs, which had been passed on to, uh, to my family. They, they were scrawny bird-like legs, but kind of muscly in weird places. And, but she would have her dress pulled up and tucked into her apron somehow. And be out there, she was girding her loins so she could work in the garden, get it prepared. It has that idea then, then for us of, of, of getting ready. Church, if we're going to live as, as strangers, if we're going to live as soldiers in this world, if we're not going to live here like this is, is the only thing there is to life, if this, if this is the whole thing, if we're going to live like that's not true, then we have to break the chain of complacency. You, you, you want to, uh, you don't know what the biggest problem that Troy Christian Church has? I haven't been here quite a year, honey, so hopefully I'll make it the next two months after saying this. You know what our biggest problem is? Is that we're complacent. We're, we're happy with where we are. We're happy with where we are as a church. We're happy with where we are as believers sometimes. Now, before you get too upset with me, let me, let me tell you this. I've, I've served at four or five different churches. I've attended a few others. Uh, and every church that I've had anything to do with, their biggest problem, they were complacent. And and just so you don't think I'm looking down my nose at you, you know what my biggest problem is? Is that I'm so easily complacent. I'm happy with where I'm at. Life's good. I enjoy my house, my home, the things I have. It's so easy for me to become complacent with where I am at. Complacent in this world. When Peter says, you're an, you're an exile, you don't belong here. You're just passing through. Live like this is not your home. Live like this is not the ultimate for you. Uh, in, in 1974, a, a couple named Bob and Jackie Muter left their home and their jobs in Dublin, Ohio. They, uh, Bob was a construction uh, foreman, and Jackie worked at the uh, Ohio State University in an office there. They, they left two great jobs to move to Black River, Jamaica, to be missionaries. Uh, so they took their their family and, and and I know them because their their middle son Dan was my college roommate for a couple of years and, and and we remained lifelong friends and uh, and they moved to Jamaica and and they worked with the church the Black River Christian Church and 
And one of the things that Bob realized was happening, because, see, what they would do is in Jamaica and, and neighboring islands, they would, they would figure out the, the brightest of their, their young men, the young men that had a heart to, to serve and a heart to preach and a heart to minister. They, they would take these young men and then they would send them to places like Joplin, Missouri and Ozark Christian College. Or they'd send them to Cincinnati, Ohio and, and attend Cincinnati Christian University. Or they, they would send them to Lincoln, Illinois where they would attend Lincoln Christian College. They would take their, 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 their brightest and, and most passionate young men and they'd send them to the states. And once they got here, they'd usually hook them up with a church that would adopt these guys and, and, and I went to college with a couple of them and they were, they were just amazed at what, what, what we had to offer here. Church oftentimes would give them a car. One guy I went to college with in Joplin, uh, the church gave him a car. This guy had never driven a car in his life, but he somehow got a license in Missouri and, and had a car for the first time in his life. In fact, he probably was the only one in his family all back in Jamaica that had a car. And, and the church took him out and they, they bought him new clothes. He was used to wearing hand-me-down clothes from four or five generations before, and they brought him, bought him new shoes. And, and what they found out was they'd send their brightest young men to, to, to Joplin, Missouri, and to Cincinnati, Ohio, and to Lincoln, Illinois, to train to be preachers. And they fell in love with the United States. And they stayed. And, and they got jobs on staffs of churches in the U.S., or some of them just got jobs in, in general and just loved the good life. And, and so a few years later, 1979, Bob and Jackie founded a, a ministry called WISE, Winterwood Island School of Evangelism. And, and, and their model then was to start training their own people in their own culture. They started training their, their young men and their young women uh, in St. Lucia, and then they moved to St. Vincent, now they're in Barbados, and they train them there so they don't fall in love with the world that, that is America and forget about their real passion, their real purpose in life. We, we're, called to, we're, we're called to break the chain of complacency. Man, I'm happy with what my life is. When Peter says, no, you're a soldier, you're, 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 you're not, uh, you do not belong here. So, so we have to be prepared. We also have to be proactive. In, in other words, it doesn't just happen. It takes action on our part. We have to do something. And, and, and the question comes up when, on this idea of, of being proactive and doing, well, what do I do? So, so you ask that self, okay, I don't want to be complacent, but Tim, what do I need to do? And, and you know what? You might want to write this answer down. This is a good one. I don't know. I, I don't know what you need to do. Now, I can make some suggestions, but but I really don't know what you need to do. Now, maybe it's as simple as opening up your Bible. Maybe you literally haven't opened your Bible except at church or Sunday school, or maybe you don't even bring it to church. You haven't opened your Bible in, in weeks or months or possibly years. So, so, so maybe it's wiping the dust off and flipping over to the Gospel of John or the book of Philippians or, or first, I don't care where you, maybe it's just open up your Bible and, and reading a chapter. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's pray. Maybe you really haven't prayed in a long time. So maybe it's tomorrow morning you wake up and, and, and before you read your paper with your coffee, you just say a couple simple prayers. Lord, use me today. Lord, hey, we talked about some babies that are hurting. Lord, be with those. I don't, I don't know what it might be. But if you do want to write something down, write this down. Do something. I, I can't tell you what 
the one thing it is you need to start doing that's going to break complacency in your life, that's going to be proactive. But I'm pretty sure this is the answer. Do something. Figure out something that can start breaking that chain that's holding you back from living the, the kind of life you should be. See, we, we need to break the chain of complacency by being productive. Notice what he says there. Prepare your minds for action. The next thing he says is be self-controlled. Do you know what that literally means? If you take it literally from the Greek, it means don't be drunk. Now, now what he's not, he really isn't saying there, don't get drunk. Because those of us who are teetotalers, man, we're like, man, I nailed that. I never get drunk. Hopefully that's all of our church here. We all nailed that. We, never, we don't get drunk. We, we, well, that's not what he's really talking about. It's that concept, but the idea is stay in control. Rita and I went to a Royals game, uh, it's probably been a month ago, with a couple friends of ours, and, and we went out to the, uh, the Royals Hall of Fame and, and, and went through that, watched the video that, that included the new video of, uh, uh, of the Royals winning the World Series. It's cool. And, and as we walked out of that and headed towards our seat, we walked by the, uh, um, the designated driver stand. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it. Out, out in the outfield, you can go and, and just sign a piece of paper that says you won't drink. And if you do that, you get a free small Coke. I mean, that's about an eight dollar value right there. <laughs> eh, maybe it's four, but but we did that. All, all four of us signed up, and they they put this little bracelet on you, saying, "I'm you know I'm, I don't drink." Now I don't know what keeps you from taking that off, but you know, uh, uh, but but put the little bracelet on. You signed up. When we were there the last time, it was really cool. There was no one in line. I guess everyone wanted to drink that night, or I don't know what it was. They gave us two coupons each. We got two free small cokes. That's almost a medium. Um, that is, uh, we we felt pretty good about ourselves that night. But you know what? What that's saying is literally what it's saying is, I'm I'm going to be in control. It's saying if you want to drink some beer or, or some mixed drinks or whatever you can get at the stadium, if you want to do that, you can. But you know what? I'm going to be in control. Now I, I, I'm not going to drink so I can drive home. If you get plastered, I'm okay. Because I'm going to stay in control. It's, it's about us literally being in control. Peter says to break the chain of complacency, you have to be serious about your walk. And we have to be pers- purposeful uh, about our walk. Uh, pre- prepared, proactive, productive, and then purposeful. We have to decide that we're going to do it. Uh, the, the parking lot would be would have been fun. It would have been cool to watch that big screen TV in in the Chiefs parking lot, watching the Royals game, seeing what happened, and then hearing the noise. That would have been fun. I mean, if we hadn't got tickets, that would have been a memory. But it was nothing like really being in the game. We are called. We are called to be soldiers, to be strangers, to be different. We have to break the chain of complacency. We also have to break the chain of uh, conformity. Notice what he says in verse 14. Verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Do not, do not be conformed. Instead, be obedient. And, and really what he's saying there, what, what the imagery is, is don't be pressed into a mold. When, when I was, I don't know, about eight or nine years old, uh, we were digging through it. We were at our, our grandparents' house, uh, 
and we were digging through some of the old stuff that my grandpa had, and I found this gadget. I had no idea what it was, but it, it, was, it was metal and had a couple handles with a hinge in the middle, so it would open up and, and close. And, and just by looking at it, the, the shape looked like the shape of a bullet, but I'd never seen anything. So I remember taking it to Grandma and said, Grandma, what is this? Or, or to Grandpa, I don't remember which one. And basically, now I'm sure there was a, a, an actual term for this, but this is the way I remember her saying, that's a bullet maker. Um, I, again, there's got to be a better name for it than that. But, but we took that, and it was a cool thing. Because literally what they did before, it was an old antique. You'd pour the metal into it or lead or whatever it and press it, and it would form a, a bullet. Now, now, Grandpa didn't have any metal for us to melt down to do that, so, so we went outside and got some mud. And I took it some mud, and I put it in there, and I pressed that down so it was squirting out the side, and I squeezed it down and, and, and held it there for, I don't know, quite some time, opened it up, and there was a perfectly formed little bullet. I don't know how, it, it, it was years. I think I took Rita and showed it when we started dating. So years later, even in college, I'd taken that little bullet and I'd set it up on, on the mantle, uh, mantle clock that my grandfather had over his fireplace. And I'd set that behind one little wing of that mantle clock. And ever so often, I would stop and I'd look back there and there was that little bullet. And I, I think I did. If I didn't, it must have been a different girlfriend. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm sure it was you. She knows I didn't have any girlfriends. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Which makes it even more amazing that I ended up with her. But uh, I tell you, her eyesight's not so good. Uh, uh, but I showed her that little perfect foreign bullet. That's what he says there. As obedient children, do not be pressed into. Do not be pressed into the mold. Do you, do you realize that that our world wants to press us into its mold? The world wants us to look just like it, to think just like it, to respond just like it. The very fact that you're here today and you're not at home is, is breaking some of that mold. The world wants us to be conformed. And Paul says, as obedient children, do not conform to the way you used to live. Uh, used to live. Uh, notice what he says down later, but, but now you've been purified, you're, you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers and love one another deeply from the heart. We are, we are something different. We're not pressed into the mold of, of something different now. Bob Russell uh, preached at a, a large church. He's retired now, but a large church in Louisville, Kentucky, a church of, of almost 15,000. Uh, and his son, one of his sons, was a police officer with the Metro Police Department in Louisville. And and a, a friend of his son, a fellow officer, told him this story. And this guy happened to go to church at, at Southeast Christian as well, where Bob uh, preached. He said one day he pulled a car over, and as he walked up to the car and, and motioned for the lady to roll the window down, she did. And, and he heard on the radio, the lady's radio was still going, she heard, he heard on the radio a voice he recognized. And, and it took him a while to, to figure it out. And finally he asked the lady, he said, is that Bob Russell you're listening to? And the lady looked at him and said, yeah, I, said, I love to listen to Bob Russell's sermons. And, and, and he was just getting ready to say something like, well, I go to his church. When, when the older that was in the car kind of made its way out to where he was. And, and he, the distinct smell of marijuana made its way out of her car. He couldn't wait to tell his pastor, Bob Russell, that 
that he pulled over a lady who was getting high listening to his sermons. <laughs> now, now here's the reality. Here's the reality. We, we, we can listen to Bob Russell's sermons. We, we can go to church. We can go to Sunday school. We can go to Bible studies. We can, we can go on mission trips and volunteer. And, and, but if we're still being pressed into the mold of the world, Something's missing. We have to give up the, the conformity to the world and move on to something better. And, and finally, we're called to break the chain of, to break the chain of control. Look at verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am Holy. Being holy means simply set apart. Are you set apart? Are you set apart for the Lord? I have a good friend, uh, Larry Johnson. In fact, Larry, I think first month or so we were here, Larry came and attended church here one Sunday with us. Um, Larry lives up in Savannah, just a, a, a great guy. An interesting guy, but a great guy. Uh, the, the very first time, he used to attend church at Russville when I was there in the the, the very first Father's Day that he attended Rushville, he came walking into church that morning, and he had on a, uh, a tie. Now, n- nothing strange about that, but his tie was made out of paper. And it was colored on and scribbled on, and it was really big, and it, it was tied around his neck with a piece of yarn. And what it was was a happy Father's Day tie that his daughter Sharon had made in Sunday school one the, the year before. And and so that Father's Day, Larry walked into church pally with this gaudy-looking paper tie that wasn't even colored well. Uh, and every Father's Day since then, Larry would come in on Father's Day, whether Sharon was with him or not. She grew up and moved on and got married. But he would still come every Father's Day with this tie on. And And you know what it was saying to me? Well, Larry, you're a little weird. That's what it was saying. But... You know what it really was saying to me? He's Sharon's dad. Because that's why he wore it. He wore it as a, a mark of pride. I'm, I'm my daughter's dad. Now, you have to know Larry, divorced, raised his daughter by himself. Life wasn't easy for him. Life was tough at times. And, and yet he wore that tie every Father's Day. And, and he wanted people to look at him and say, you're Sharon's dad. You're Sharon's dad. We are called to be set apart. We are called to be different. We, we, we see there that we're, we're to love. A lot of the songs we sing about here this morning talked about love. We're called to love in a new and different way. We, we need to break the chain of control by loving the Lord. When Chriswell I'll close with this. Grew up as a uh, a believer. He was was a Christian. Grew up in the church. Uh, as, as he became an adult and started working at a bank, and then was, was the the president of a bank. He he went to church. Was active in his church. Involved in many different things. But 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 life took kind of a strange turn for when and 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 it really started off kind of as a, a small thing. But it just it just snowballed and got out of control it, it started off with just a small problem with gambling it wasn't any big deal he he just loved to go to the casinos he loved to to play cards and 
and he'd win a little bit and lose a little bit, no big deal. And then he found himself going more and more often. And and as you you might know, maybe you've had friends that have been there. Maybe it's been you. The more you go, the more you end up losing. And and suddenly the the money that he thought he was going to win back wasn't happening. He was losing more and more. And the only way he knew to figure it out and to get out of that was to start cooking the books just a little bit. Because I'm going to get ahead. I'm going to get all this debt paid off, and and then I'll I'll, I'll put the money back in the bank. But but it just got worse and worse, and he was covering up more and more problems. And one day he walked into the bank, and the bank examiners were there. Tom, you you know what it's like. Even if you've done nothing wrong, when bank examiners show up, you're like, oh, what if I put a number in there wrong? I know Rita said the same thing. Oh, bank examiners. But he knew he, knew he was done for. He knew they would find. He couldn't cover up what he had done. And so he drove home. And he wrote a note to his wife, explained what he had done, explained the death that he had caused, apologized for what he had done, and said, I'm going out, and I'm going to take my life. And so he left with a gun, went out into the woods, sat there in tears for, for, for hours, but he couldn't pull the trigger. Just couldn't do it. And so he made his way back home. Well, when he got home, there were cop cars sitting in his driveway. And he thought, how, how did they find out so fast? But, but his wife had seen the note. She had called the police. They would called the bank. It all started putting together. So he pulled up. His wife met him in the parking lot and gave him a big hug. And, oh, you're still here. And, and the police met him there as well. And they put handcuffs on him and took him away. He ended up in prison for, for the fraud that he had committed. But he said it was the greatest thing that ever happened to him. For in prison, he reconnected with his faith. He, he realized what he had done and, and that, that God had, a, had, had control and God had power to change his life and make him something new, to conform him into what God wanted uh, and not what he wanted. There's power. There's power in the name of Jesus. But, but we have to break the chains. We have to break the chains of complacency that says, you know what, I'm okay just doing what I'm doing. I'm fine just kind of muddling along like I am. We have to break the chains of complacency and say, I don't belong here. I'm a sojourner. I'm an exile. I'm a stranger. I've got to do something different. We have to break the chain of conformity to allow, that the world tries to push us in and mold us into what it wants to be. And we have to break the chain of control. Who is going to be in charge? Are we going to let the world, are we going to let our own passions, our own heart, our own desires, or are we going to look to God and say, God, take control of my life and make me what you want me to be? Let me ask again. Are you a stranger? Are you a sojourner? Are you an exile in this world? Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the fact that you love us, that you've given us freedom and hope and forgiveness. Father, you've taken every chain that holds us down. And Father, you know the things that, that, that pull us down, that entangle us, that, that strap us down. Father, help us uh, get rid of those chains. Uh, Father, help us not be complacent or conform. Father, help us give you control uh, in this world and in our life. Father, thank you this morning for loving us even in our failures, even 
in our problems. You're there for us. Father, help us. Help us be a church and help us be believers that give our lives to you, that live as strangers in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.